You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. People have been asking, the people have been wanting, and today, the people will receive a Husker 24-7 podcast entirely devoted to Nebraska's overtime games since college football instituted an overtime period, and who better to bring it to you than Brian Christofferson, the guest, the co-host, whatever we are in these things, and me, Mike Schaefer. Brian, how are, how are you feeling about this? This was an, an idea conceived on a throwaway line on a previous podcast that picked up some uh, some social media traction, some message board traction, and we have decided to give the people what they may or may not want by the end of this podcast, and that's a hell of a lot of overtime talk. Yeah, and by people, you mean like a dozen people or yeah. so. About I, there are dozens of us. I operate under the idea, even if I know the numbers are higher and I know what our numbers are for our podcast, I operate under the idea that 15 people listen to anything. Like it's, mm. it's inconceivable to me to imagine that there's more than that at any time. Otherwise I might get freaked out, but I like the idea of there never being more than 15 people. So I'm okay with that. It's a good way to think of it. It doesn't put much pressure on you. There are a lot more than 15 people that listen, by the way, we don't want to sell ourselves short and we appreciate you listening. <laughs> um, but Yes, this, the the concept here is we're going to run through every Nebraska football game that has gone to overtime, uh, which was implemented into the college football game in 1996. So it hasn't been around that long. And heck, you could do another podcast on ties. Yeah, um, I actually can I can I throw a question at you right now? Yeah. Obviously, the most famous tie is the Orange Bowl one. Is there another really notable tie in Nebraska's history that I should be aware of? Because quite frankly, the only one that I know of, the only one my brain could go to, if there was an immaculate grid and the the category was Nebraska ties and I couldn't use that Orange Bowl game, is there another one that I should know about? Um, Which Orange Bowl game are you speaking of? Well, I'm speaking of the the one that was a nominal if Nebraska wins it, their national champions and time. Well, they didn't tie. They didn't even tie in that game. So, yeah, I mean, the Tom Osborne didn't kick the extra point for the tie. So, yeah. that's I'm not, not even, a mistake by you, though, because, it, well, it is, but. It felt like they tied that game, but they lost the game. I don't know if that makes any sense. It that brings was a in, very weird mistake, I feel like, too. No, it brings an interesting uh, point into play, though, actually. So I'm kind of glad it came up. If Nebraska, um, you know, nowadays when teams are down two touchdowns, I think Rule even spoke about this. You know, people look at the the numbers differently than I think they did three or four decades ago. And had Nebraska gone for two, they were down 31 to 17 in that game. So now a lot of coaches might have gone for two, especially under that format after the first touchdown. And if you miss it, um, the way Nebraska was positioned in the rankings, they could have gone for two the second time and had two cracks at it, Mm -hmm. tied the game and still been national champions. That would have been a tie that would have won a championship probably. Um, now, had he just kicked the extra point, nobody around here would have loved that. They might have still won the national title the way it was, but everybody, I think, kind of appreciates now that he went for the two. But, yeah, nowadays I think you might have seen a coach go for two the first time, hope to get it, and then you win the game. And if you don't get it, you can still tie it, and people will still be like, well, he tried to win it, and he, he's they're, they're undefeated still sort of. They're national champs, but – Anyway, the other tie I think of is the Nebraska-Colorado game um, in uh, 1991. Um, 1919 tie, the snowball game. Byron Bennett uh, was kicking, and uh, Colorado fans were throwing snow at it, snowballs at him uh, before he kicked, and it got blocked, and it ended up uh, a tie game. 
Yeah, I really wish that we could go back and start this podcast over so I didn't just call that Orange Bowl game a tie, even though <laughs> that's going to bother me for the rest of this uh, this podcast. But what can you do? We're four minutes in. There's no going back. Just like there's no going back on that decision. The decision was made. I was wrong. And now we're now we're moving forward with it. So, all right. Um, let's uh, let's just keep going. And you you compiled this list here and we've got a list of of Nebraska's overtime games and they have played in 15 of these 15 since 1997 mm-hmm. and the you could make a case we're going to just go in chronological order Brian you could make a case that there was no bigger result and I don't I don't even know if this is a real argument but there was no bigger result than that one against Missouri that started this whole thing off because that allowed them to continue their national championship journey. They certainly aren't going to be national champions with a loss to Missouri there, even if they go on. And everything else stays the same. Michigan doesn't split that title. What do you remember about the 1997 Nebraska-Missouri game? One of the things I remember is um, the local TV broadcast came back late in the overtime, yeah. and they were already like three plays into Nebraska's possession. So I think Frost, it was either right as he was running into the end zone or just before it, um, Frost on a sort of option play for about 10 yep. or 11 yards out scored. And um, if people weren't listening on their radio, they're like, what the heck? And, you know, then they're tra- Nebraskans are trying to adjust their minds at that point to what this overtime situation scenario is all about anyway because it's the first time you'd seen nebraska in it hadn't seen a lot of college football games in those spots yet and uh here you are like thrown into the middle of the the biggest moment uh well second to the catch by davison but um yeah i remember that part and then the defense which was on their skates all game long against corby jones they finally got the clamps down and i I can still picture how like intense everybody was on the Nebraska sideline. There was great camera work and Frost is like right next to Tom Osborne, like yelling at the defense, exhorting him on. And then I recall Mike Rucker was, was they really collapsed a pocket, but Mike Rucker sort of got the fruits of it and got to steal the ball from Corby and uh, ran it, ran it all the way down. Uh, they blew the play dead, but that stands out to me. And it, it was a, a magical win. Um, that Nebraska sort of pulled out of its butt. Yeah, it's one of those games that, you know, I I will never forget for a variety of reasons. Obviously, the craziness of the of the flea kicker, but also just watching it with my dad and brother. My dad was notorious for basically in closing moments of a close game late. He just assumed his team was going to leave. And at this time in his life, he was smoking. And he just decided, like, Nebraska wasn't going to score that game-tying touchdown. So he tells my brother and I he's going to be out in the garage. And we just know that means he's going to be out there just ripping heaters. And so Nebraska ends up tying that game. Matt and I, or my brother, were celebrating. And then it's like, oh, we got to go let our dad know that this game, that there's, like, overtime. This thing isn't Mm -hmm. over. So I go up and I go get him. And we come downstairs. And the, the game resumes. And obviously it goes straight from commercial right to Scott Frost running the ball. And it was super jarring. And my dad, who had missed the game-tying touchdown because he couldn't watch it, immediately goes in this like long profanity-laced rant at the local affiliate for not showing the previous plays. The guy yeah. who just skipped the, the best ending of a game imaginable, or the you know whatever you want to call it, not an ending because it prolonged the game, is then immediately flipped into the mode of like he's just been prevented from watching something that he wouldn't have otherwise known like it was just a it was an incredible moment as a kid I will never forget that um that game was uh that game was nuts I I really remember the Missouri quarterback and I don't I don't know why but that one has always stuck with me Corbin Jones right Corby yeah he was he was good I mean the next uh the next year Nebraska shut him down in Lincoln though the defense Mm -hmm. it was a 20 to 13 game and uh, Monte Cristo came into that game. There was injuries, and he scored late. Nebraska had to come back, but the the black shirts really kind of owned him the next year. But yeah, in '97, he just tormented uh, the Huskers. And actually, Missouri had a chance to close that thing out. Uh, they were up seven with the ball in regulation, and they had like a third and two or three, 
and uh, Nebraska shut down an option to get the ball back with one more crack at it. Kenny Cheatham, who we used, who we recently did a throwback story on, um, who I think would have been a really gifted wide receiver in like a more modern offensive era of Husker football, um, more of a passing era, I should say. Um, he made a huge catch that I think got the ball rolling for that drive before Davison had it. So he he should not be forgotten because he was really big on that last series. Yeah, it's wild to think about. Like that's one of those games that in a social media era, like the whole country is freaking out about that game. And yep. this, you know, obviously occurs well before any of that is even possible. But it's like one of those where you sort of, for as, as annoying as social media can be the collective country watching and, and hanging on the call of, of a ball going off of, you know, Wiggins foot into Davison's hands and everyone having to decide whether that's a catch or not a catch in the moment on Twitter, that would have been a wild of all of these games. That would have been the most wild one. And a lot of them occurred in a social media era, but that would have really, really stood out. It so would, that it was, it oh, would have been a, it would have been kick six before uh, kick six, oh, uh, Alabama Auburn. That's an inc- that's a great poll because that's one of those things. Like I just remember being absolutely stunned in the moment of watching that thing happen. There's another one. There's another game like that that it doesn't have near the significance. But I think Boise State was undefeated, and their kicker missed like a 27 yard field goal that would have allowed mm-hmm. them to beat Utah State for the last game of the regular season or whatever. And it was just like one of those where you just get that like brain rush and your head is just buzzing because you cannot believe that this team just lost or whatever on a play. All right. So that was the first one. And then Frank Solich gets two. And I'll uh, I'll throw it back to you here to, to run through 1999, Nebraska, Colorado, like in the one of the classics in the middle of a, a pretty crazy run of games against Colorado. Yeah, this game was nuts too because nebraska was uh killing them for three quarters and then it was you know they had they've had a few fourth quarter collapses some will say it's connected to the altitude or whatever but uh, in 97 they almost blew a lead had to hang on and win by three this time um colorado scores i believe 24 points ties it at 27 nebraska's just completely falling apart but gets a turnover in the last few minutes of regulation on the Colorado 15 yard line. So it looks like, okay, they're going to save the day here on the very next play. Nebraska runs an option play. Dan Alexander did not catch it. it. Maybe the pitch was bad. Anyway, Nebraska fumbled a lot that year and they fumbled this time. It's what cost that team a national title. Cause they fumbled it away against Texas in one of the games as people remember. But after that fumble, Colorado gets another big pass play and had a chip shot field goal, 33 yards that just missed by inches that would have won the game there. With second life in overtime, Nebraska's defense, this is where it gets kind of interesting that this is a part that's forgotten. Colorado had third and one on the 16 and got about a half a yard. Nebraska stuffed them. It was fourth and about a foot. Gary Barnett chose to kick the field goal interesting choice i would have maybe gone for it um so nebraska's like thank you they're only down three um a constant that people will see in all these overtime games is nebraska even in the ones they lost often did what they had to do on defense Mm -hmm. where they were right in position where it's like okay you held on the three or none just go win it now so this was such a case but one of the gutty calls that gets forgotten is Nebraska was facing third and three, or it was a long three, almost four on the 18, 19 yard line. And they ran the fullback, Willie Miller, which that's a tough play to call. Like that's ballsy. Like we're going to give it. Cause if you know how that goes, if like Willie Miller just gets stuffed, it's like, it's one of those plays where you, it, maybe you would have a good reason for calling it. And the fullback has been of great success here. But when the fullback goes for nothing, it looks like you didn't even, run a play you know like the fan base there would have just been collective outrage about it and um willie miller it was the right call he just slides through for about six yards and then dan alexander this is a play i also remember he runs over people to about the one yard line and he's kind of got the ball in one hand and it's like nebraska fans that year were so paranoid they're gonna fumble every time so you're just like waiting because they did yeah a lot and so uh, he hung on, though. Crouch sneaks it in on the next play, and Nebraska wins 33-30. to 30. 
there was a penalty that was an offsides on Colorado. So you had to wait like five seconds to make sure it's a touchdown, which kind of ruins the moment a little bit. Mm -hmm. I've, you know, when your team scores and, and then they're like, wait, does it count? You know, but, um, had Nebraska not, uh, pulled that one out. Uh, the conference title drought would have gone back uh, even two years further. Cause that was Nebraska's last conference championship team. And then a year later in South Bend, Nebraska fans take over the stadium. It's a sea of red in South Bend, but Notre Dame hangs around with a Nebraska team that had national title aspirations for set into overtime. This is, this is like one of those games. Like I, I really just sort of remember it just feeling like a huge, huge thing in the moment. Uh, Eric Crouch had a big overtime. Yeah, he did. Um, Nebraska pretty much outplayed um, Notre Dame most of the day, but you might remember this. They gave up two special teams touchdowns. So they gave up a kick return, a punt return. So it was tied at 21. Um, Nebraska, Arnaz Battle was a Notre Dame QB, I believe. Uh, Nebraska holds them to a field goal. And we talked about this on the previous pod. Nebraska's drive was sort of not going anywhere. It was third and eight or nine. And um, Crouch hit uh, Tracy Wistrom, I believe, right at the sticks. And if it were reviewable, it would have been interesting if they would have put it just short. But it wasn't back in those days. So it was a first down. And then Nebraska sort of had the momentum. And it was kind of a cool play call. Uh, where they get it to the six yard line and and Crouch just fakes it to the, uh, I believe the fullback and and goes around the left end to the, toward the pylon and I he I remember he he spun the football like Notre he was right by the, like Notre Dame students or something and he like kind of did this cool spin of the football like a top after he scored the touchdown that was a sweet game though because Notre Dame of course played on NBC. And it was like Nebraska playing on sort of a strange network for it. And it was, it just had, it just felt like college football to the tilt, you know, like um, an afternoon, beautiful day in South Bend. And even though Nebraska probably thought they could have played better, it was a game. I think that you, you, Husker fans, when it was over, were almost glad that it ended that way. You know, it's almost better to win a game like that then beat them 42 to seven, honestly, because it's like it was such a, a fantastic finish that it kind of sticks with you. It's crazy because the next year there's so much hype and build up for Notre Dame to come to Nebraska. And that game was just a snooze fest, like yeah, comparatively, it was, you know, it's just it's a boring, boring game. Like that's, that's sort of what I remember of Nebraska and Notre Dame at home, but then it's the reverse when they're at South Bend. Uh, for those younger fans, and I'm, I'm guessing the older know this, the older ones know this, but Nebraska and Notre Dame had a hell of a rivalry in the 1920s. Like yes. you go back and you look, they played some really close, really important games, and uh, that the rivalry got scuttled for for reasons. But uh, they, I would I would love to see those two teams play again, uh, and maybe it'll happen someday as a conference game. Who knows? Yeah, they beat the Four Horsemen back in the day in the 20s. Yeah. No, I mean, it's uh, one of the best parts of the, the Husker Century um, video, if, if people know that, you can find that on YouTube. It's really just Mike Babcock and other people walking through that Nebraska-Notre Dame mm. series and just how, it meant to, how much it meant to kind of both places. All right, so Nebraska's 3-0. Frank Solich gone. Bill Callahan comes in. It's 2005. If I recall, if I have this correct in my brain, Nebraska's offense was really sort of struggling to score yes. uh, at this point. And there was a lot of jokes being made about how you can't get any touchdown signals in the end zone uh, for your cell phone in Memorial stadium and things of that nature. And yet uh, I believe it was, it was uh, Corey Ross, right. In this Nebraska, Iowa state overtime game. He had a, he had a touchdown, I believe. He did. And Kevin Cosgrove's defense at the beginning of that year was Don't you have to say, aren't you like contractually obligated to say much maligned defensive coordinator, <laughs> Kevin Cosgrove? Yeah, I forgot that was part of the trademark. Yeah. Um, he, he, he definitely was in the later years, but early in, in September of 2005, he was probably enjoying every breakfast he had in Lincoln and stuff. Cause his, his group was, <laughs> I mean, they were, they were pretty solid. It, um, Corey McEwen was on that defense who yeah. uh, you have a connection with and, 
um, they had beat, I think Maine, like was their opener. And it was like a 25 to seven game. The defense scored a bunch against wake forest and beat them 31 to three. And then the third game was that seven to six game against Pittsburgh, Mm -hmm. which was just awful. And Musburger, uh, got popped for, I guess, opening up a, a beer Open in container. The, yeah. In this car, which I got it. Whoever popped him on that. I got to call you into question. I mean, the man pr- deserved it <laughs> after that game. Like <laughs> you, that, it, you were going to anybody who wanted to, to put up in a cold one after that game, let them have it, I would say. But yeah, this, this was an entertaining game um, that was tied 13, 13 at the end of regulation with Iowa state. It was the only um, Husker game to go two overtimes. Yeah, that's one of the most notable things on the list that you sent over. They've not played in any other double overtime game, mm-hmm. which is kind of wild. And then it that makes sense odd. when you think about how the last six games have gone. But continue. Yeah, but but it is strange that that would only happen once of 15. Um, so both teams score. Uh, Iowa State scored first. Nebraska answered. Um, and then um, Nebraska gets the ball first in the second OT. And uh, they they find Corey Ross on a swing pass um, for a nine yard touchdown. Iowa State did move it down to um, around the 10 yard line, but uh, couldn't go any further. Brett Meyer was their quarterback for people who like to have uh, QB opposition names of the past. Uh, And he was a pretty good player that year. Iowa State wasn't a bad team at that time. As, as folks will remember, and I think was even ranked 23rd in that game while Nebraska was not ranked. Mm hmm. And the next week, that was a wild three-game stretch at Memorial Stadium because the, there was the 7-6 Pittsburgh game. There was this Nebraska 27-20 double overtime win. And then the next game was the Texas Tech game where the Huskers played their their butts off to come back and take the lead. And Lakeven Smith had the pick and then fumbled <laughs> it. And Texas Tech <laughs> went 34-31. So wild, wild few weeks in Lincoln. Yeah. I, I remember that Texas Tech game more than I remember the Iowa State game. But that was one of two for, for Bill Callahan for games that he had in overtime. The only game on this list, Brian, that I have almost no memory of, and I don't know if it's because I was up at South Dakota State when this was going on or what was what was going on in my life. I do not remember Nebraska-Kansas 39-32, 2006. And honestly, 2006 is one of my favorite seasons. I... My freshman year in college, a lot of great games, a lot of memorable games. I don't remember this one at all. So walk us through Nebraska-Kansas 2006, 39-32. I believe you said before the podcast when I told you this, Kansas had a monster day on offense. Who Was that Todd Reesing at that point? Was he? No. Would he have been their, um, their quarterback? It was like a guy named like Adam Barnum or somebody. Yeah, okay. it, was, it was just before that. Uh, Kansas had 574 yards of offense. And this is Mark Mangino, right? Yeah, it was yeah. 2006. Because it's the and year it, before their big kind of 2007 was their big year, right? Yep, and it, yeah. they were they were getting good. You could tell, like, okay, it's not the Kansas that they're you know of old. And um, it was a night game. Nebraska was up 17 to nothing. This was a pre- turned out to be a decent Nebraska team too, with Zach Taylor, and um, Kansas kind of owned the second half and took the lead 25 24 this is the part people might remember france hardy got loose for like a 75 yard touchdown france hardy that put the huskers in front but butler butler community college i can't remember i don't remember that there's one of the community college guys from yeah he he was a fast dude though He, he he that was like his calling card was like he'd pop in for an occasional like 70 yard play or something so Kansas came back down in the final five minutes and scores in the last minute. They put a touchdown up to tie it. And uh, in OT, uh, I had to look this one up myself because I kind of forgot it. Um, there was a big pass to Nate Swift, very good Husker receiver of that era. Uh, buddies with Todd Peterson, friend of the pod. And that brought that brought Nebraska the one-yard line, and then Cody Glenn cashed it in. And Nebraska uh, got the stop uh, after Kansas got a first down at about the 10-yard line. Some of these names that have come up on this podcast are just people like, I haven't thought about Cody Glenn in a long time. Before he moved to linebacker, yes. Yeah. Yeah, Out of of Rusk, Texas, got to the NFL. 
Um, Andre Jones was the cornerback on the coverage on the fourth down play for Nebraska. Guns, guns blazing. Andre Jones with his custom, uh, custom sweatbands. <laughs> I guess so. But yeah, I had to, this was one like you that kind of escaped my memory. I was at yeah. the game, but I don't know why it just like, it was a pretty entertaining game. It's on YouTube. People can go look it up. It's kind of fun. Yeah, it's wild. Like I can I can remember stuff from every 14 of the 15 games. And some of them I can walk you through exactly how overtime went because I was covering it at that point. But this game, I just don't have any real recollection. I might I might go to the Brian Christofferson and, and pull it up on YouTube and just watch the overtime period here later today, uh just yeah. to to get re-familiar with it. All right, we have now left the Callahan era. Nebraska's still undefeated. They're five and oh. But that's about to come to an end. On October 11th, 2008, Nebraska went down to Lubbock. A young Mike Schaefer hung back in Lincoln, Nebraska, where, you know, at the stroke of midnight, he would be turning 21. And that was the most important thing. But on October 11th, Nebraska was going to play Texas Tech. That was a good game. And I, for the life of me, will never, ever understand why Bo Pelini did not go for two and yeah. just end that when he had the opportunity to, because they had no business winning that game and they could have stole it. And I still, I feel very strongly. If you have a chance to end the game going for two, you go for two, especially when you're on the road, he did not do it. And Nebraska lost. Uh, Joe Gantz had a hell of a game, but it all was for not on that final throw. He had the interception. Yeah. Um, you know what? I did not go research this one before, so I'm going off the top of my head in remembering it. But i that's the first thing that comes to my mind, too, is I remember Nebraska scored late in the fourth quarter. It was uh, 31 to 30 at the point, and it felt like they just had Texas Tech reeling, like Gans was really rolling. And it's like, run that play and try to win that thing. Mm -hmm. If I remember right, too, Texas Tech was – this was a funny year where they, I believe we're having some real kicker issues and like Mike, the late Mike Leach, um, I think even had tryouts like on campus, like that week to be their kicker. Now I don't Do know. That. Do they go to a local restaurant and find a server? <laughs> yeah. Like I guess that it, that does happen more often than not. Now that I think about it, we're, we've seen that happen before. Um, but uh, Leach, they were that was a really good Texas Tech team, like top ten, I believe. That was uh, the three-way tie in the Big Twelve South, right? And Texas Tech ended up sort of getting left out, even though they beat Texas. Yeah. In the yeah, they were ranked seventh. Yep. So they were good, and that was Very a week. Good. That was a week after the first Polini loss that occurred, where Nebraska got smoked by a very good Missouri team um, in Lincoln in prime time. Oh yeah. Jeremy Mack. Well, oh, that like, game yeah. was bad. It started yeah. 7-7, and then I think Missouri scored the next 30 points. Yeah, I remember a guy, I won't say his name. Jeremy Macklin a, went ham in that game. He did. There was a black shirt. We had, I was at the newspaper at the time, and we had some little show, and we were talking to a black shirt before the game, and he was pretty fired up about what Polini's game plan was going to be and how they were going to knock, knock him around a bit. <laughs> and, like, Jeremy Macklin takes, like, the second or third play like for 55 is, yards or something, but is that the game that Chase Daniel alleged that, that Sue hawked a loogie in his face after tackling him? Might've been, I'm not I think sure. It's the same that, game. That did happen. Um, it, but that was I, all the week before. I don't know if that was the booger picking game too. Like didn't Chase pick a booger that got caught on TV. Did, but I, those were both in Lincoln. I don't know in what <laughs> order it went, but I think the booger came in 2000 uh six and then i think the the loogie was 2008 i'm sorry to chase Dan daniel if that accusation's wrong but i'm pretty sure he was accused of that um eating a booger no it was on youtube okay definitely all right happened. good anyway texas tech um i believe leach was scrambling enough that they went for a fourth down in their own territory like in the fourth quarter because he didn't want to give the ball back yep and they they kind of threw it up for grabs and got like a 40 yard play out of it or something like that anyway another example Schaefer where Nebraska in overtime sort of gets what it needs to get done in this game Texas Tech does score a touchdown because they're but their kicker sucks and so whether he was the guy they just tried out or not I don't remember but he missed it 
And so Nebraska is only down six and things are really looking good. And then um, I feel like there was an opportunity on the first down play for a possible touchdown that where there wasn't a connection. And then I think it was the next play where Gans kind of kind of rolled to his right, was under a little bit of heat, kind of threw a pressure pass and it got picked by a linebacker or something. And that was it. I want to say it was like along the sidelines. It just got intercepted. Yeah, he was. I don't know. He was right. I don't remember who he was throwing to, but yeah, it just is one of those losses where it felt like Nebraska had a chance to end that thing by going for two in regulation. They should have. And uh, they they don't end up winning. Two years later, 2010, wild season, tons of memorable games, some uh, some just great Nebraska performances, but tucked somewhere in the 2010 season. There's this game against Iowa State where I'm fairly certain Cody Green started mm. because Taylor Martinez was unavailable. And Nebraska sort of half-assed their way through this game only to uh, to have Eric Hag make the biggest play of the season at that point and protect their chances of winning the, the Big 12 North with the interception on a fake extra point attempt from Paul Rhodes and Iowa State. Yep, it was the year after Iowa State beat Nebraska 9-7 in Lincoln with the eight turnovers. And you're right, Cody Green was the starter. This was after T-Magic had been the story of the year, but then he hurt his ankle in that win over Missouri. So Nebraska's in a pretty good spot um, going into this game, ranked in the top 10, even has an outside shot in some eyes at like you know the national championship if they run the table. Um, they'd have to have a few things go their way, but they were dinged up in this game and they ran Rex Burkhead out of the wildcat a lot. And that was their best play. Cody made a couple clutch throws, but it was clear the offense just wasn't the same as good a guy as Cody was. And also one of the best post game interviews, even if he didn't play, you could call Cody green into the post game and he could like talk about um taylor's performance yeah. cody what'd you see from taylor today <laughs> yeah he was like having the qbs yeah. that was so and weird it and was he would, so weird and he was great about it he would give like full rundowns and no surprise he got into coaching um but anyway um burkhead was the man who saved the day and in overtime he was kind of hurting too and he if you go back and watch it he scores on like a 20 some yard run where he's kind of laboring the whole way to the end zone but he just keeps trucking along until he was there Nebraska can't get the stop though on defense um, gives up like a 10 yard touchdown pass. And then you're, as you said, Paul Rhodes fakes the extra point. The, the play was open for a second. I don't know if the guy had put it more on a line and not hung up the pass in the wind, if it might've worked, but Eric Hag, he took like a half a second to realize what was going on. And then he jumped on it and he sort of intercepted it. Actually, if, the truth is they didn't count it as an interception, I believe in the official stats. If you look, it kind of hit the ground. So that's a little fun fact. It wasn't technically a pick. I remember having to change my game story because everybody thought it was an interception, but um, I didn't know that until now. I don't believe officially years later, it was was just a pass defended, I believe. Uh And I'm pretty sure that's correct. Wow. Some of this is off my memory. So if I miss a thing or two, I'm a little bit. That's all right. We're we're 32 minutes in, and we just hit the halfway point. So uh, that's that's okay. That That's just fine. Nebraska in 2013 goes on the road to your favorite place in the Big Ten. They go up there to State College, and it is a afternoon November game, and the winds are swirling. There's a little bit of snow because it's November, and all I remember – is that I think Kenny Bell had a big play and Patrick Smith kicked a game-winning field goal. And he was perfect that year. Kenny Bell had a kick return for a touchdown that Nebraska needed. Um, Christian Hackenberg was the Penn State quarterback and Nebraska's thankful because he was like a statue. And so that really helped them. Um, And there was also an egregious call um, I think it was in a mirror run where they called uh, like a block in the back or something like 20 yards away from the play or like mm-hmm. a might have been rough, like a um, unsportsmanlike conduct hit on our guy from Nebraska blocking. And it was just a terrible call. People can check it out for themselves. 
but it took away a possible touchdown. And I don't think Nebraska ended up getting in the end zone. Anyway, went to overtime 20 to 20. And um, Penn State came away with nothing. And Nebraska uh, lined up for a field goal and Pat Smith hits it. But there was a false start penalty. Do you remember that? Kind of, yeah. So he had to hit it again. And at while this was happening, um, Penn State tried to freeze him even more so than he was already on a cold day. And all the Penn State students were like moving um, sections over to be behind the goalpost to try to distract him because there weren't enough. There weren't a lot. Of, I don't know. There were some empty seats that day. So there was all these Penn State students, I remember, trying to get in his line of vision to uh, – help uh, influence this field goal to miss and he did not miss and Nebraska won 23 to 20 and this was at a time when every game in the Pelini era was um, joined with like is he going to be the guy going forward and so like every week was like did he save it his job sort of situation a referendum Um, season yeah we were we were to that point of course this was the audio tape year 2013 and all that stuff so um, I do remember like there was like a sigh of relief like in the post game from like players and coaches because they they were dinged up and it was it felt like a game that they really had to gut out to win and it was it was actually a heck of a win when you consider some of the injuries they had and sort of the situation around the program so um one of those where you don't get a lot of credit for it but um those guys had to feel pretty satisfied they came away with that one i I don't know if this is a false memory, but I have this like thing in my brain that there was after the win, there was like either some notable photos or video of Nebraska players in the snow, making snow angels after that win. Do you, do you remember this or have I like created this in my head? It's slider knocks over something in the background here and then checks on it. I don't remember that, but uh, that's, that's possible. Cause it did. I think the snow started to come down near the end. Yeah, it was definitely um, an overtime snow. This this was the what I re- remember about that year is this team uh, had a knack for pulling out these games. Mm-hmm. Really, I mean they they did they, really for 2012, 2013, and then the the magic kind of ran out in twenty fourteen. Yeah, I mean th- this was the hail mary year against Northwestern. This was the year they had the big drive at the big house uh, mm-hmm. where where Amir leaps into the end zone and. The game they let get away where they played really well was the week before this Penn State game against Michigan State and Lincoln. That was a really good Michigan State team, but Nebraska was right there. And like Connor Cook was the quarterback and he couldn't miss on third down. He had a huge conversion on third down, like a 26 yard down the middle pass for a touchdown that just ripped everybody's hearts out in the stadium. And Terrell Newby fumbled like a very early pitch. Like he just, yeah. I don't know, the, the argument was that he like lost the ball in the sun somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just remember those are the standouts from a Michigan State game that did not go into overtime. Last Pelini-era overtime game was the last game that Bo Pelini ever coached as a head coach at the FBS level. 37, Nebraska 37, Iowa 34. And as Michael Brunts loves to say, why in the hell would you punt to DeMornay Pearsonell? Yeah. Kirk Ferentz, for as smart as Iowa is and how they have their script and how they're going to do things, who in the hell thought it was a good idea to punt to that man that day? Yeah, not not good. He, he returned one for a touchdown, another one almost for a touchdown that set up one. And uh, this was the game that Iowa led 24-7 uh, when a nat- native son, was it Drew Rott? Um, from Iowa, um, ran back. Uh, Nebraska punted the ball off its own guy. Off yeah, the, the yeah. punt the ball off your own ass game. Yeah, yeah, that, that happened. So it was 24-7 Iowa. Nebraska's offense just looked terrible for mo- for like two and a half quarters, and they had injuries up front, and it, it just looked like a loss. And then suddenly, you know, Pearson L kind of got him going, and, and Tommy and Kenny Bell hit on a few plays. And then uh, in overtime, Iowa gets the ball first. And um, first off, before overtime, Brandon Riley made a huge catch when Nebraska was down three, like 50 yards down the sideline to get it inside the 10. And it looked like Nebraska might win it in regulation. 
Um, but they had to settle for a 20 yard field goal to go to overtime, but they stopped Iowa inside the 10 yard line. And then um, Nebraska converted a, a, a big pass play. I think it was a third and six um, on the 21 to Kenny Bell to the nine yard line, just before the next play was a touchdown to Bell where you remember he had it mm-hmm. and then he got hit and he juggled it a bit. And so they had to review, like, did he have enough possession to call the touchdown? And I actually wondered if they're going to overturn it for a second. You know how they are. It's like, you got to, you know, hand the ball to the official and read a poem before they call a touchdown. <laughs> um, but they decided it was a score and that was the end of the Polini era. We didn't know that that day. We thought maybe he saved his job again. Um, but Saturday morning or we'd find out he did not. Yeah. All right. That was uh that was the first nine, first nine of the, the overtime games. Yep, they're eight and they're eight and one at this point in overtime yeah. games. And so like OT is a friend of Husker football. Like yeah. you know, we don't mind it around here. And uh as we're gonna see the story changes. Yeah, the story changes, but before the story can change, we're gonna take a quick time out. When we come back, we're gonna dive into the last six games. Then Nebraska's played in overtime. Then, oh my goodness, is it epically bad. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The overtime pod continues, and now we're, we might as well just call it this, Brian. We're in the second overtime of this podcast, Mm. and uh, Nebraska played pretty well in the first overtime. It's not going to look so great here in the second one. Things start in the Mike Riley era as, uh, as weird of a year as possible. This game certainly fit the, uh, the to be in there. 2015, you go down to the Orange Bowl for what I assume is the first time. You're down in – well, they don't play in the Orange Bowl. It was uh, it Pro Pro Stadium. At or? the time, it was like Pro Player Stadium or something. Yeah. Now yeah. it's like Sun Rock Casino or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, yeah, so you're, you're down there in Miami. Nebraska's playing Miami. Both of these teams end up being pretty bad in 2015 or, or not nearly as good as you would think. But a lot of excitement for this game, and um, it ends similar to to kind of like Texas Tech. Tommy Armstrong, who led a massive comeback, just has one horrible throw in overtime, and that's all she wrote. Yeah, it was amazing the game was in overtime, Yeah, first off, because Miami was dominating Nebraska for the first three quarters, and um, I think it was like 33-10 to 10 at one point. Miami did like everything wrong you possibly could in the fourth quarter. And Stanley Morgan was having a coming out party. He, he was just a monster in that game. He, he, he made a leaping catch over a defender to set up the touchdown or that scored the touchdown just before a two point conversion to tie it in the last minute. So Nebraska has all the momentum in the world and gets the ball. This time they get the ball first. And you're thinking, you know, usually you want the ball second, but not the worst deal in the world. They're on a roll, like just feed this, feed these guys right now. And on the very first play, um, I don't know if there was a guy initially open, but I think when Tommy let it go, he, he threw toward the end zone and he just didn't see the defender at all, like in his line of sight. And it was like the easiest pick you ever saw for Miami. And, and then they got it inside the 10 and hit a chip shot and won. And uh, that kind of a crushing loss. I mean, it, it felt like it was going to be a loss the whole day. But then when it got to OT, you're like, Nebraska's got to win this thing, right? They've got everything going their way. And and still they managed to uh, get nothing. I just went and looked at the box score of that game because I was trying to remember who some of the Miami players were. Brad Kaya was the, uh, the quarterback for Miami, which mm. I think he was sort of most famous for being like the son of, of – Felicia from the Friday movies. I think he that's, was. Yep. Uh, I think that's the claim to fame there. Joseph Yerby was the running back for Miami. Um, they're like most notable, like now notable NFL players that were on that team on offense, at least were like Chris Herndon, 
uh, tight end uh, who's bounced around in the NFL a little bit. And then I believe there was another tight end. Uh, David Njoku was on that team. Although that's not like a particularly studded Miami team. A guy named Corn Elder. I remember Nebraska was recruiting and everybody really wanted because his name was Corn Elder. Uh, he had a 47-yard interception return. Those are those are the things that, uh, looking up the box score, that I could tell you. We'll go from this one, a, a real low point, to what could have been. It could have been the high point of the Mike Riley era had things gone a little bit different. It is October 2016. Nebraska is at Camp Randall. And it is Nebraska-Wisconsin in what was a really good game. And the Huskers, it, even now, to this day, it felt like Nebraska gave that game away. Like it was there for their taking, and they could not win it. And I, I know that you remember this because you've written about it. But it goes to overtime, and this is the same year that Sam Fultz has uh, passed away with with Mike Sadler, um, you know, from that kicking camp. And they're using the commemorative coin. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nate Gary calls Fultzy for yeah. Nebraska. And it just felt like everything was going to go Nebraska's way as that happened, including, this is the second time we've said this, a missed extra point in overtime for the first team that scores. Yep. Yeah, I actually, as you were calling that, I remember I did get chills. I was down on the sideline at that point um, when it went to OT. And so they had it on the microphone so everyone in the stadium could hear. And when Gary called Fultzy, like there's that split second where it's like, come on, come on. Like you want it, this like not rooting for the outcome of the game at this coin toss. It's like, come on. And it, and then it was Fultz and it was awesome. And you're like, all right, this story is set up, you know, they're going to win this thing. But and then Nebraska's uh, Nebraska. Well, Wisconsin scored, but as, as you pointed out, they missed the PAT. And so uh, that's interesting in itself. Like two of these 15, games the other teams missed a pat which you hardly ever see that have given the you know open the door wide um they only got um two yards on the first two plays and so it's third and eight and this i had forgotten about a little bit but remember wester camp they went to him inside the 10 yard line yeah is this where tj watt just clotheslines them and it's not pass interference I'm not as strong as some Husker fans in saying it was a definite, like there was definitely contact. And I know um, Todd Blackledge, who was announcing the game, thought it was interference. So, I mean, that's a neutral guy saying he thought it was PI or whatever. And uh, they didn't call it. So had that been called, might've been a different story. Cause it, you know, puts you on the 10 yard line, you're in business fourth and eight. They went to Stanley and the ball was like a, I think like a hair late, like if it had been a little higher and just a little bit more on time, he maybe like wins that jump ball. And it's like one of those plays you never forget mm-hmm. that Nebraska had, uh, but it falls incomplete and they lose. And then the next week they lost 62 to three to Ohio state. It was a, I mean, it was the last bowl team Nebraska's had 2016. Um, so you, they were seven and zero, and they were top 10 in the country at yep. that point. And, uh, I think they benefited that year, nothing against those guys, but the schedule is favorable and they took advantage of it early on. They found ways to win. They beat Oregon in a memorable game in Lincoln early in the year. But uh, this was the game that kind of took the fairy tale out of the possible fairy tale. There wasn't going to be one for that season. And it thought up until then you thought maybe, I don't know. They were an interesting team though. Yeah, that was uh, that was one of those tough to stomach losses. All right, so this is Mike Riley now 0-2, and his team is yet to score in overtime. And you could be sensing a trend here. Nebraska gets Northwestern in 2017 in a must-win situation, coming off of a uh, pretty impressive comeback in West Lafayette the weekend before to uh, to kind of stun Purdue there late. Nebraska's in a, in a game against Northwestern, and – this never should have went to overtime, but they couldn't get off the field on third down. Jeremiah Stovall was sort of tasked into to covering, oh, I think his name was Flynn for Northwestern, the slot wide receiver. And there's a critical third and 17, and they just drop it in right over him. And that allows Northwestern to ultimately tie up that game. But what I remember more than anything, Brian, 
is Nebraska got super conservative late. Like they didn't attempt on a, they didn't attempt to give Drew Brown an opportunity to try to win that game with a kick. I think it would have been Drew Brown. And then um, they didn't go for it late. They end up punting the ball and almost giving away the game at the end of regulation before it goes into to overtime. And I, I don't know why, but I remember they had this like halfback screen play call that just got absolutely blown up and they lost mm. like eight yards right away on the first play. And you're like, all right, well, this is that they're not, they're not coming back from it. And that basically to me cemented that Mike Riley was going to be gone. Yeah. It kind of already felt like that. Um, ever, ever since the, was it the Northern Illinois game that year yep. where they lost it and, um, I of course tried to do damage control, like in the post game, it felt like everybody was kind of a lame duck. Um, but it was a, it was a game where Nebraska led 24, 17 going in the fourth quarter, Northwestern tied it. And you set, you set up the OT pretty well. I think Nebraska got themselves into like a third and 20. Um, and then it was fourth and 12. And so that again, it was another OT drive as is the theme of these last ones we'll go through where Nebraska doesn't get one first down. Uh, they didn't, they don't get in the last six overtimes Nebraska has played. Um, they have not gotten a first down and I believe they have 10 yards of offense and have thrown three interceptions. So it's rough. It's rough. <laughs> it's rough. Uh, so yeah, they lose that one a year later, new coach, different setting in Evanston. Oh, and five Nebraska has played really well yeah. out there. But they can't get off the field. They can't get the stops. They can't force Northwestern. They can't turn them away. And unfortunately, this one ends up in overtime as well. I'll throw it to you here, Brian, and you can take us through the futility that was Nebraska's overtime appearance there. Well, the fourth quarter in this one's probably the one that hurts almost as much as the OT for Husker fans because – Nebraska led 31 to 21 after a field goal with like 550 left in the game against, you know, a Northwestern team that's not exactly known for, for scoring in a hurry. Uh, they get a field goal to make it 31, 24 Nebraska punts it down to the one yard line. So Northwestern has to go 99 yards in a couple minutes to tie it. And of course they do. And, uh, there was multiple chances for Nebraska to get get off the field. And by the time it got to overtime, you sort of felt like what's going to go wrong. And this is what Husker football now will have to get past in the rule era. And I know they're working hard to do that mentally. It's like, you don't have to assume the worst is about to happen just because the previous thing wasn't great. Um, But in this case, something bad did happen again because Nebraska actually um, positioned themselves pretty well at the start of this OT drive. They got it to third and one Yep. on the 16. And then there was a false start. So it made it third and six. And you're like, okay, they're screwed. They get five yards to Spielman. So it's fourth and one. You're like, all right, they're back in it. And uh, Frost, I think fair enough, goes for it. I, I don't mind that. They're out of the gun though. And remember the snap was low to Adrian. Yep. He, so he has to go back like it's a junior high game and pick it up on like the 30 yard line. And is just kind of scrambling around and it was really wasn't his fault. He just flings it up toward the end zone. Yeah, Got to make a play and uh, it gets picked off. So count that toward the interception category of Husker overtime games. And then Northwestern kicks the field goal and wins it. So um, and Frost was beyond dejected in that post game because it was just like they were finding every way to lose in that 0-6 start they would win the next week at against Minnesota or against Minnesota and dominate them and they kind of had a nice end of that season which was actually like kind of the high point of the frost era but uh this this was a kind of a clue of what was to come as far yeah. as like near misses and finding a way to snag defeat even when victory should be there so then a year later, 2019 in September, we went through this one for the most part when we were discussing that Colorado game and how weird all of the games have been uh, with with Nebraska. But Nebraska blows a double-digit lead. Um, they scored, like, 
they scored, I think, three touchdowns in that game that were like over 70 yards or it felt like that. It felt like every touchdown they scored was like this big J.D. Spielman play or Maurice Washington or Adrian or whatever. And so you end up in overtime. Uh, Colorado Colorado kicks a field goal. No, is Nebraska – I forget. How did it go? Is is Nebraska on offense first or do they force the field goal first? Um, they force the field goal first. So once again – Nebraska's yeah. in business here. It's disappointing that they blew a 17-0 lead and then a, again in the fourth quarter have trickled this game down their leg. But, hey, you got the ball 25 yards from victory. Go do it. And Nebraska ran the ball um, twice to start and uh, gained one yard. So it was third and nine, and then Martinez gets sacked for a seven-yard loss. Now, here was the debate. They were in a kind of – no win situation it was like fourth and 16 now and isaac armstrong was like their best option um to kick it hadn't kicked a lot you know in his career um had a i guess a bigger leg for who they had on the roster then and so he tried a 48 yarder that went far right some people thought you know maybe you just go for it on fourth and 16 but i understand you know they're that the not good odds there either. So they, they just worked themselves into, into a corner there. And it was yet another drive where just nothing positive. A lot of these OT drives, I know it is hard to move the ball in those situations because the defense is so amped up and there's so much on the line, but you'll notice if you go back, even some of the good drives, Nebraska had an OT of yesteryear. There were tough first down, second down starts to those possessions. So, in the future, it'd be nice for Nebraska if they can, you know, get that like six yard play on first down or something like that. Just make it easier on themselves. Yeah, you know, just just one time, just do it once. Mm -hmm. See what it's like. See if you like it. Then maybe try to replicate it. Last game, and it's the freshest in everyone's mind. And what does it feature, Brian? It features another blown lead. So all three of the Scott Frost. Overtime games, Nebraska led by double digits in the second half, only to not be leading by double digits by the time the fourth quarter gun sounds. It featured, uh, it featured, you know, prior to overtime, the the worst punt coverage and punt decision imaginable. Um, you know, punting away from where your coverage unit is and allowing for an easy touchdown there. There was there's a lot that happened to get to overtime, and then. I, I can't remember specifically, and, and I know that you will, and I know you and I covered this game together. There was a play, like early in overtime, where it felt like if was it Adrian, if he throws the ball a little bit better or someone doesn't slip, there's a potential for a touchdown. Did did like Omar Manning slip or something? Do you remember th- what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I do. I believe it was the first down play. I just looked at it quick again. There was thought by some and I was in this camp right after the game that he had a guy um, streaking open for a a second. If he finds him right, right. You know, Mm -hmm. just good timing. And it would have been a touchdown. Now Michigan state guy on the back end um, was shadowing enough where I get, you could probably make an argument in like the film room the next day, like uh, would have been a risky throw. Um, So, but I do think there was an opportunity on the first down that, this was a drive. Um, Nebraska got the ball first and actually um, was doing okay to start. It was third and three. Uh, the Another costly play was a second down throw, which was actually a completion to Omar Manning, but uh, Adrian threw it low. And so Omar had to go down and catch it, just secure the catch to the ground and he was three yards short. If Adrian had put that ball like on the numbers, it was one of those plays where Manning had a little room to spin out, you know, and use his big body, and he probably takes it inside the 10-yard line. So honestly, as much as we you could talk about the first down throw, it was the second down one I thought where um, he didn't put it high enough and give Omar a chance to run that was a missed opportunity. Third down and three, there was a big discussion afterwards in the week that followed it got picked off almost returned for a touchdown if Samore Toure ran the route quite right um and could have maybe helped his QB out a little bit there so it's easy to pin it on Adrian but it was I think it was probably uh went both ways on that one and then you know it was 
one of those deals where after the pick, all Michigan State has to do is, you know, kick a field goal. And they yep. they easily got the ball inside the five-yard line and hit it a chip shot. And that was that. Wasted one of the most brilliant defensive halves of football we've ever seen from Oscar team, ever. Like, yeah. I mean, they no, there was, like, no first downs. Kenneth Walker was, like, a Heisman candidate who couldn't do anything against them. It, it was a brilliant defensive yep. game by Nebraska. It was it was sort of like somehow they were transformed into being 2009 Nebraska's defense mm-hmm. against Oklahoma. Like they completely shut that Landry Jones team down. Like that's sort of what it felt like in the second half against uh, against Michigan State, and then came away with nothing. So I I think you said this earlier. I want to I want to clarify. Is it four interceptions Nebraska thrown in in overtime games? That's you had crazy. you had 2021 Michigan State 2018. Northwestern 2015 Miami and uh Joe Gans 2008 Texas Tech so four interceptions ended possessions for Nebraska in overtime games yep that's correct and three of the last six have ended that way and um as I said I don't know if it's this was my quick math I think they have 10 yards of offense total the last six and no first downs no points um it's amazing that they have no points given that you start at the 25 and that they were the first team for several of those. So it's like you're you're almost you're expected to get at least three points on the board and to not do that across six games is is just unfathomable. Yep. And um you know some of these th- does it flip the whole story on something I I kind of doubt it. Um but it did for certainty. Michigan State in 21 um, had a knack for winning tough games, but I mean, this was a game I think that kind of catapulted them to that sort of yep. year and Mel Tucker to that extension and all that stuff. So we'll see the if woodshed, up, baby. We'll see if that ends up being good or not, I guess. But um, it was uh, Nebraska in some of these cases not only you know ding their own season but they really elevated some others um, along the way to a much better result than they would have had. And they let them off the hook. So yeah, these OT games are, it's a pretty interesting history. It's a lot of information that I garbled together there about when you go through it fast, but eight and seven overall still. So they got it. They're on the winning ledger, uh, but you do remember the losses, I think more. And especially cause they're easier right now. Cause they're fresh. I do remember the one, um, going back quick to the Texas Tech one that Polini lost, um, it was a very um, cramped post game setting, and um, I remember he was just like slinked against the wall, um, like waiting to do his post game radio show, and it, it was a devast like he was hurt. I mean, it was just you see how much it just takes out of competitors when you like lose these games where you're so close and you can feel it and you know it would have been a breakthrough and you could just see the pain like all over him. And that after that game, um, similar to when Virginia tech had the big play that beat him, he, yeah. he had a similar reaction. So um, sometimes those behind the scenes things, when you see how it impacts the guys, when they're like, man, there's, it was right there in your grasp. And it, it, it's a, it just hurts so much, but um, yeah, that's, that's the history as we can remember it. Yeah, well, that was that was great stuff. I love this. This came, like I said, a kernel of an idea that's now a uh, an hour plus podcast of just Nebraska's overtime history. Great stuff, Brian. Thanks for for assembling this. Do you have any? You have any closing thoughts? Anything you want to? Anything you want to throw out there for those that are somehow still with us? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if people are still with us, but I don't know if you want to spin it forward and a hope for positivity and look at the Kool-Aid jug is half full. Um, we have a story on our site even now is ruled like talking to the Texas high school coaches down there about the fourth quarter is a game into itself. And that's the way we're going to recognize it around here. And you have to have that identity that in, you know, closing time, you're comfortable. Like you, your, your, your blood pressure isn't racing beyond control. You feel like you can function in those situations. And so they're trying really hard right now. Um, to build that within this team that has struggled in those spots and those clutch moments and proof will be when with the results, but uh, it's certainly something that, uh, you know, 
if you look at how it goes, like each staff had what, like Osborne was one and oh, Solich was two and oh, Callahan was two and oh, Polini was three and one. So there were some coaches who their teams had knacks for it. And then the last two uh, coaches have been 0 and three each. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, uh, topic, I'm sure, if Nebraska plays in an overtime game here in 2023. If you're looking for other great topics and other great content, be sure to check out Husker247.com. Plenty of coverage of everything. We have media days coming up next week. We still have plenty of recruiting stuff. There's going to be visitors on campus, uh, you know, coming up next week as well. So there's all sorts of things that you can find at Husker247. And be sure to like and subscribe to the Husker 24-7 podcast wherever you get your podcast content. We will be back for Brian Christopherson, I should say. I'm Mike Schaefer. We will be back next week with more Husker 24-7 content, and uh, we'll catch you all then.